Micah chapter 4, verse 9 through 13. We read the following. Now why do you cry aloud? Is there no king in you? Has your counselor perished? That pain seized you like a woman in labor. Writhe and groan, O daughter of Zion, like a woman in labor. For now you shall go out from the city and dwell in the open country. You shall go to Babylon. There you shall be rescued. There the Lord will redeem you from the hand of your enemies. Now many nations are assembled against you, saying, Let her be defiled and let our eyes gaze upon Zion. But they do not know the thoughts of the Lord. They do not understand his plan, that he has gathered them as sheaves to the threshing floor. Arise and thresh, O daughter of Zion, for I will make your horn iron, and I will make your hoofs bronze. You shall beat in pieces many peoples, and shall devote their gain to the Lord, their wealth to the Lord of the whole earth. Brothers and sisters, this, even this, is the word of the living God. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord endures forever. Let us pray. Almighty God, we thank you for this day and for this word that we have received. Lord, grant that we would interpret it rightly, that we would apply it vigorously, and that you would be with us. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. All right, how do you think of yourself as you live your life, as you assess yourself in the light of everything that's going on in your life? Are you struggling to hold on? Do you feel continually overwhelmed and beat down as if you are barely, if possibly not even, going to make it? In short, has life defeated you? Or do you, brother and sister, see yourself as a conqueror? Brothers and sisters, this passage does three things essentially. In verses 9 and 10, the prophet announces trouble. That's the first thing he does here. He announces trouble. And he says to them, very frankly, you will go out from the city and dwell in the open country. That's, that's a picture, a metaphor of losing your security. When you're in a city, you're behind walls that can defend you. You have ramparts for protection to ward off potential invaders. When you're in the open country, you are vulnerable. That's, that's the picture here. You are going from protected and secure to vulnerable and exposed with all the anxiety that comes with it. And then he says, you shall go to Babylon. Think of the movie Taken. Several years old now, if you don't know it by now, I'm sorry. 
But think near the beginning, and, and, and the girl, she's in Paris, and she sees bad guys coming. And she calls her dad, and her, and her dad tells her to get under the bed, and then he says something. They are going to take you. And that, that warning, that announcement of the inevitability of horror, of terror, our Lord does not shy away from. He announces to the people, you will go to Babylon. Remember, the bad guys of Israel, their, their goose is cooked. There is no hope. There's no message of hope for them. They are going to be judged and condemned. The who he's talking to here are the faithful people, the, God, the people of Israel who've been trying to do the right thing. They are going to go to Babylon. The Lord does not mince words, but he does not mince words even in the new covenant because what does Jesus tell us? In this world, you will have trouble. And understand that when Jesus says, you will have trouble, he's not just talking about your marital stress, your first world problems. He's talking about getting doused in oil and lit on fire. He's talking about being hunted down and exterminated because of the one to whom you serve and are loyal. And of course, everything along the gamut, you will have trouble. You'll have your job be frustrating and you know, you, you, your spouse won't be all that they, you want them to be. But everything along the gamut is encapsulated with you will have trouble. But then the Lord announces the hope in the very same verse. From there you will be rescued. And you will be redeemed from the hand of your enemies. And so then he, in the second section of this passage, the Lord announces a turnabout that is planned. The nations are, are gathered, it says, and he uses the, the language, frankly, of sexual assault. Let her be exposed, let us defile. They want to have their vicious, sadistic way with the people of God. And that is how the forces of the world have always arrayed themselves against the Lord and against his people but they don't understand the turnabout that is planned. For it says in verse 12, they do not know the thoughts of the Lord. That he has gathered them as sheaves to the threshing floor. So it's kind of funny. They think they have the people of the Lord caught when in fact it is themselves who have been caught in the snare of the Lord. Indeed, this is the turnabout that is foretold. It is the turnabout that is seen. You see, for example, the inner workings of the mind of the religious establishment of Jerusalem when they are trying Jesus. They think they're going to put an end to this movement they think they're going to secure their place as loyal vassals of Rome. And so they've rejected 
the Lord's anointed. But what happens? In the midst of this being the hour of darkness, in which darkness prevails, nonetheless, it's the hour in which the prince of the world is overthrown. And thus the stone that was rejected by the builders becomes the cornerstone. It's a turnabout. And likewise, we look forward in Scripture to that great battle of Armageddon in which the forces of the world are arrayed together and they think this is our chance, this is our moment to finally once for all cast off the Lord and his shackles But alas, what do we read? Alas for them, I should say. What do we read? They are gathered there to be destroyed. Turnabout anticipated. But then there's a call. A call then on the part of God's people to arise and thresh. Not thresh in the now, but in light of what's coming up. The prophet uses an agricultural metaphor of harvesting. And when you thresh something on a threshing floor, what are you doing? You're fundamentally separating wheat from chaff. Okay? So you're doing something to separate wheat from chaff, but it has the process of breaking down the the sheave of wheat or whatever grain as it was. So he uses this metaphor to then describe in the passage military conquest. Arise and thresh. So then using the Imagery and the language of the old covenant, the prophet anticipates a day in the future in which the people of God would be victorious over their oppressors and that they in turn would then conquer their oppressors. And so he issues the summons to rise and thresh. Now, what do we make of that? Well, first of all, this is, this is not a summons to spread the faith by the sword. It is not. We are not to Christianize the world by going into a place and saying, convert or die. We're not Islam. Okay? Okay? Nor is this a picture of what it looks like for the world to be governed by a Christian majority. There are some people who think that Christian winning, you know the victory we just talked about in all of our songs? Every song today has talked about victory. That Christian winning means having the influence in the culture. So some would say that what this passage is talking about is a great day in the future in which the Lord conquers and that it's a good day to be a Christian because we're killing everybody who's not or Jesus is killing and we're not doing, our hands aren't dirty. He's doing it. 
if victory in Jesus amounted to the exorcision of good laws on the earth, then the author of Hebrews is wrong. In Hebrews 11, he's talking about faith and what faith is and what faith accomplishes and all these examples of faith. What more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, all the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms and exercised justice. In other words, they've reached the pinnacle of cultural influence. They've been enforcing the Lord's law. Oh, it's beautiful. What more could it look like for us to be in? That's, that's exactly what we're called to do, right? They became mighty in war. And they put foreign armies to flight. It's everything that these types of passages in the Old Testament are saying is supposedly going to happen. And when we miss erroneously say, that, oh, that's, that's what the end looks like, we don't read to the end of what it says. They did all of this, it says, and did not receive what was promised. Because the promise is never cultural victory. Until the new earth, Christians exist in a state in which the thing that is promised is held out before. What is victory? Well, did you know that the Bible, the New Testament, actually does talk about this passage? It just uses different words. Did you know that we are given a glimpse of the reality that is going on that everyone else is otherwise oblivious to? Indeed, we are told in 1 John chapter 5, for everyone who has been born of God conquers the world. And this is the victory that has conquered the world. Our faith, the noun faith. You see, the Christian faith takes implicitly and makes, well, from the Old Testament, and makes explicit. Jesus Christ, our Lord, the one whom we're going to read about next week in chapter 5, he has conquered. And so I, I want you to understand the first point. Christ has conquered. Jesus says as much. I alluded to John 16, a few minutes ago when I, says, when I said that Jesus tells us in this world we will have trouble. But take heart, and I don't like how the ESV says take heart because that word really means have courage, be courageous. It doesn't just mean, you know, be a little encouraged or something. Take heart means to be courageous. Why? Because I have conquered the world. Colossians 2, 14 speaks about how Jesus canceled the record of debt that stood against us. He set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by what? By triumphing over them. And then 
John is in the spirit and he's, and he's weeping in heaven because there's no one who has been found who is worthy to open the scrolls that is God's history, redemptive plan for history. And one of the elders around the throne says to John in John chapter 5, verse 5, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has what? Has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. So Christ has conquered. And then second, in him we have conquered. 1 John 5, 4. Everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Which is why then in Romans 8, 37, it says we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And then ultimately, when it comes to dealing with the great ruler of the world and his vassals that are the people, what do we learn in Revelations 12? They, that is our brothers and our sisters who are martyrs, they have conquered him, that is Satan, by what? By the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. And what was the means of their conquest? They did not love their lives, even unto death. It's the same way as it was with Jesus. If you don't understand this, you don't understand the logic of the kingdom. In the logic of the kingdom, winning looks like losing. The Lord says to Paul, my strength is made perfect in what? Weakness. This is the reason why Jesus getting beaten and battered is victory. This is the reason why the ones who are hailed as the chief victors in heaven are not the cultural whizzes. They're, it's the people who don't love their lives and they die. This is why Paul in 2 Corinthians 1, he gives thanks to God that he's being led around in a triumphal procession by the Lord. And, and, and you think that's triumphal. He's I'm on the You don't understand a Roman victory parade. The person that was paraded around was the defeated general as a trophy of the awesomeness of the victor, and then they were executed. He's a trophy of God's grace, and Paul's proud of that. And so through him, everywhere he goes, God is spreading the message of the cross from death to death to some and from life to life to others. Depending on their state, you see the chafe and the wheat being separated in the proclamation of the gospel. We have conquered in Christ. So, I asked at the beginning, how do you live and view your life? Just continually do you feel beat down? Or do you see yourself as a conqueror? Which is what exactly the scripture says. Everyone who is born of God conquers the world. How do we do Philippians 4.11? 
when Paul is, is talking about his lot in life, you guys know this passage. For I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. The reason Paul can be content in any circumstance is because he understands that truly he is victorious already. He may not see the victory until the next life, but he knows it is a fact. So how do you do Philippians 4.11, to be content, you will never do Philippians 4.11 until you have learned to be content in any circumstance. When you are continually tossed to and fro by whatever cockamamie nonsense comes out of 1600 Pennsylvania, you are not content. If, 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 the, if the upheavals that continually go on in our society cause you to, if you, then, you aren't, then you aren't seeing it through Paul's eyes, who experienced far worse than us. Wouldn't you rather live in a place? Absolutely, but you know what? Paul says it doesn't matter. Paul says it literally doesn't matter. He can be content no matter what. So what about us? Are we victorious or are we defeated? But then in the call to arise and thresh, what is he talking about? He's talking about us participating in Christ's continued conquest. There is a past tense sense in Jesus' conquest. He came and he is victorious. The devil has been thrown down. There's a definite future element. I mean, we're told that the, the, the Lord will ultimately conquer, and that's spoken of future tense, but there is a present tense element as the kingdom spreads. And we are active participants in this war. Think about Colossians 1, 13 and 14. He has rescued us from the domain of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves. How did that come to be? No, don't think spiritual. The Holy Spirit, yeah. Someone told you about Jesus. And then the Holy Spirit did his thing through the human who spoke to you. We, brothers and sisters, minister in his name. And we truly, really are soldiers of the cross, which is why in Ephesians 6, 11, and 12, we are told to put on the full armor of God so that we can take our stand against the devil's schemes. And he's not just talking about private sin in your life. He's talking about the battle for souls. We do not struggle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, the authorities, the cosmic powers over this present age, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. For, 
He goes on then in 2 Corinthians 10, though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. But our weapons of warfare have the power to destroy divine strongholds. That's powerful. We destroy arguments, every lofty opinion, and we take every thought captive to obey Christ and to punish disobedience. We are engaged in a war. And we are called to action. And so thus, the Christian church has historically and classically viewed Micah 4.13 and the call to arise and thresh as the Old Testament languages Contact cultural context equivalent to the command of Jesus himself from Matthew 28, 19. Go and make disciples of all nations. For the devil thinks he owns this place. And everyone is a slave of the devil. There's no one who's not until they are set free by the Son. And we engage in spiritual war to bring the gospel and its announcement to people. And we separate the wheat from the chaff in that proclamation. And so we are busy participants in the Lord's plan of redemption by being his soldiers. Go, make disciples. It is how we rise and thresh and take from the nations that which rightfully belongs to the Lord of the whole earth. It's all his is what Micah is saying, but they're claiming it's theirs. We're taking it back. So, today's fall kickoff. How are we going to rise and thresh here? I want to challenge you, brothers and sisters, that we are busy about the business of making disciples. And this year, brothers and sisters, I would like to challenge you to think in terms of how we can be active participants in the war of the kingdom. We are the church militant. How can we Claim the Lord's from the masses around us. Brothers and sisters, many forces are arrayed against you that will seek to discourage or dissuade. But I want to challenge you to be wholeheartedly committed to the victory. And in the view of that victory, then, in every present circumstance, you can say as Paul I'm content because I know I'm doing what the Lord wants me to do. I'm where the Lord wants me to be. And what better plan is that? So, I want to urge you to think bold. Could it be that this is the year where we get enough volunteers that we're able to, to launch the, the ESL program that we've wanted? We have so many Hispanic speakers of foreign languages around us. 
And could it be that this is the year where we reach out into the community and launch that? Could it be that this year is the year in which we're able to, to engage the mission field directly by sending a team overseas? Could it be that this is the year where we raise up a generation with focused efforts on our children and our youth? Could it be that this is the year where we teach women not just here but around our area what it means to live a godly life? And so, ladies... If you haven't heard, the plan is to, have, is to host the first women's conference here this fall. And like anything else, this is the first run. And the, the dream is big to turn this into something regional. And men, this involves you. You got to get in the fight. We can't have the women learning how they should live as Christian women when they're busy staffing their own event. So men, we need you to step up and help. This could be the year where someone here senses the call to full-time ministry. This could be the year where through one of our, ministry, our educational ministries, someone who's wavering in their faith might be doubled down and, and, and they might make an advance for Christ in their home and in their work. This could be the year where families who are struggling to stay together to raise their children in the fear and the admonition of the Lord, this could be the year where through our ministry here, they double down on their commitment to God and to Raising those children in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. Brothers and sisters, think bold. For in Christ the victory is ours. And we are his hands and feet. We are his workmen. We are his foot soldiers. How can we advance the kingdom here? Brothers and sisters, the stakes are high but the outcome is sure. Walk in confidence. Let us pray. Almighty God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the mystery of the kingdom, that it grows despite persecution, that the people who look the most loserly are in fact the most exalted Thank you, God, for granting your people with your spirit to be resilient, to shine bright in the midst of darkness. And the, the darker the context, the brighter the light. And we pray, O oh God, that you would indeed grant us wisdom, grant us vision, grant us perspective, grant us boldness but above all, grant us love and faithfulness to you. In Christ's name we pray, amen.